why is it good news that God's in control when everything looks like he's not? You know, it's like, oh, because he's orchestrating an end that's going to turn out in my favor, even if I'm the one suffering. Yes. The wheels aren't off the cart. Like, this isn't running out of control. Yeah. Even though I'm suffering, even though, you know, a loved one of mine was martyred. Yeah. God is sitting on his throne. He's the one orchestrating the things that are going on. He's in control. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our look at the book of Revelation. So far in the first episode, we talked about what the book of Revelation is as apocalyptic literature. So if you haven't, go back and watch that one first because it's foundational to everything else we talk about. In the last episode, we looked at what is probably the main theme in the book of Revelation, which is the blood of the martyrs and conquering through suffering like Christ. It was a really exciting episode. Go back and watch it if you haven't yet. And now we're going to look at two other key themes in the book of Revelation, namely God's throne and the bride. Seth, how are you feeling? I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling ready. I've had a lot of fun going through the book of Revelation and talking about a king meeting his bride. Sounds like a great way to spend my afternoon. (laughs) Okay. So last time we talked about thrones and we talked about how martyrs go on thrones. That's right. At the very beginning of the book of Revelation, you have all these angelic beings sitting on thrones. They leave those thrones to bow before Jesus. But Mm -hmm. at the very end of the book, those thrones are repopulated with those who have been beheaded and have been faithful to the testimony of Jesus. Yes, and those are the thrones we talked about last time. That's right. This time we want to focus on that central throne. Yeah. (laughs) The one Jesus is sitting on. Yes. I guess any other reframing that we want to do to help us get into the book, Revelation is a book of hope written to persecuted people. Right. It uses symbols to talk about things that are happening in the world. Yes. Anything else? The thing Mm. that we kept harping on uh, throughout this has been like when we see something we don't understand, our first impulse is to go back to the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and to help us understand the symbols that we don't understand. And so we think about a throne. What does the Old Testament tell Uh, us about thrones? What does the Old Testament tell us about kings uh, and kingdoms? And that should start to give us a sense for what we're looking at right here. I see. Okay, so before we jump back into the Old Testament, I just want to like get my head on straight. When's the first time we see Jesus's throne, this central throne in the book of Revelation? Well, the first throne we actually see is God's throne. So oh, God's God, throne. God's okay. throne. Yes. In chapter four, uh, verse two, John is given this vision of a heavenly throne room. Okay. And an angel invites him to come up and to see what's about to take place. And John says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, which are two gemstones that are red in color. I had to look those up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and around the throne was a rainbow that was as solid as an emerald. And around the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Okay. And it goes on to a description of these kind of crazy beasts and th- flashings of lightning and right. burning and fire. Right. Um, but but it's, it's not just communicating a scene. He's trying to communicate a truth. That's right. Right. It's kind of like what we talked about in the very first episode when John says, oh, what was that word we talked about? The signifies. Yeah, signify that signify mm-hmm. thing. He's saying like he's showing you a picture of something to signify what he's trying to tell you. It's like when Jesus said, I'm going to tear down this temple. He said that to signify his own death. That's right. So That's right. we're seeing this throne room. What is he signifying? The most obvious thing he's probably signifying is that he's borrowing language and imagery from Daniel chapter 7. Okay. So if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is in exile in Babylon, and he's been there for some time now. And in the middle of his letter, 
he has a vision of uh, this uh, ancient of days. It's a vision of God sitting on his throne in a space where there are a whole bunch of other thrones around him. And he is covered in fire and lightning is coming from him. And then a figure called the Son of Man comes towards him on his throne. And this Son of Man is given a position of authority in this heavenly courtroom. I see. And particularly as the vision goes on, we're told that this Son of Man will suffer under the defeat of beasts and then be risen up after that time. Okay. So that's the image he's pulling on, right? So when we first think about the throne room in Revelation, we should think about the vision that Daniel had. Yeah, he is riffing on this Daniel vision. That's right. That's right. So in order to answer the question of what's going on in Revelation, we need to ask what was going on in In, Daniel 7. That's that's right. Okay. And, And Daniel is in exile experiencing... Pressure from a whole bunch of fellow officials, right? Uh, but he's also separated from his homeland. Not, as are his whole people. As are his whole people, and he's wanting to go back. Mm. And this vision is meant to communicate the way in which Daniel's exile finally ends, and he gets to return home to the temple to mm. be with God forever, right? Okay, yeah. And in Revelation, that's a really very strategic choice on the, the John's part to choose because the people reading this letter would have been in a very familiar situation. They're in Asia Minor, so they're not in Jerusalem near the temple, but they would have been ethnically Jewish, separated from their Jewish brothers and sisters because their Jewish brothers and sisters are persecuting them. Mm. A couple different times in the opening letters, we're told that Jewish synagogues are synagogues of Satan. Right. And it seems as if one of the primary sources of persecution Christians are experiencing is from their Jewish brothers and sisters. So they're separated from their people. They're separated Mm. from their temple in a a similar way that Daniel was. And they're hoping and longing for this exile between their brothers and sisters and their temple to be over and to be restored to a new temple. Well, especially if they were disciples of Jesus and actually believed what he said, they're like, this This temple is actually going to be destroyed. So even if they have access to it, right. they're like, there's this new temple that's coming yes. and we're not with it yet, we feel like, or we don't understand yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, there yeah, is yeah, that yeah. separation sense. And yeah, and they're exi- even if everything was rosy, they're still not in heaven physically seated with God right. like they want to be. And so there is that separation, that exile that's taking place. When's it going to be over? How's it going to yes. end? And the reason why that's significant mm. to think back on Daniel is because the the end of Daniel is the prophecy of an end of exile, right? Yes, right. And the book of Revelation ends with an end of exile where God's temple and his people, God himself and his people are finally united, right? right. Yeah. They are finally home in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. So the shape of Revelation follows the shape of Daniel 7. I see. Right? Yes. And even, and as we, we'll get to this in a second, but like the very end of Daniel's prophecy, Daniel is given a scroll. Mm-hmm. That will, oh right, w- that will uh, tell him when their exile will be over, and when he, God's people, and he can't, open and he it? can't open it because right. it will not be open until the end of time, or right. until the time is fulfilled. Yes, and then this that scroll that shows sealed up. shows up right here. Oh my so, gosh, amazing! It's completing the story of Daniel. It's completing the story. That's of Daniel. really cool. And, okay, so then going back to the throne, then yep. focusing on that as as our theme here. What I'm hearing then, because I remember our time in Daniel together our through line for Daniel. It was despite what it looks like, God is in control. Yeah. And we know that mainly, uh, obviously a lot of other reasons, but the the like ultimate version was because of this throne from the heavens. Like, yes, there's Babylon and there's a king who sits on that throne. Persia has a throne. All these enemies have thrones, but God's throne is the ancient of days throne. It's yeah. the, the ultimate throne of thrones that shows that he has sovereignty control over everything and so by revelation importing the daniel throne of the ancient of days here mm-hmm. he's trying to communicate the same point of the book of daniel i'm guessing that's right which is like hey i know there's persecution i know there's suffering i know there's beasts god is in control that's right okay and on a really simple level that's it like okay. that's all we should take away from it like yeah all the crazy stuff that happens in the book of revelation doesn't escape God's notice. It's not mm. in his blind spot, but it's yeah. actually part of him bringing 
his people out of exile and into his presence permanently. I see. It makes me sound like you're hinting at something there. Yeah. Because you're, you're, I think what you're saying is not just the symbol of a throne yep. that a king sits on and makes decrees. Not that symbol alone proves God's sovereignty and control, but actually how the book of Revelation plays out shows that these aren't random happenings on the earth. It's they're coming from God. Like, yeah, that's he's right. The orchestrator. Yeah. And in particular, to go with our theme last time, like he is operating with humans. Oh, right. Humans have been given thrones next to him, and God and humans together are both judging and purifying the world. Like when he poured out the, the censor of their prayers. Of their prayers, right. yes. Or okay. their blood is poured out on the yeah. earth later, or yes. Okay. Where, because I have so many questions, but right. I don't want to like, divert us so where, where else do we need to go to trace this theme of god's throne through the book yeah 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 well let's continue the story okay. in, in chapter four so god is on the throne yes surrounded by angelic beings right but jesus is not there oh at the right beginning of chapter four just like right in, and so like if you know he's doing the daniel 7 thing you're like right. okay when's that other character coming that's right that's going to come man. sit on his throne when's the son of man coming right and i mean jewish interpreters of Daniel never th didn't really know who that character was always. Right. There's been a whole history of interpretation, but John is going to say his belief in this, that it's Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, so that's actually a pretty radical thing John's doing here. Yeah. He's like, let me retell you the Daniel story and then show you that the son of man that sits on the throne of the ancient of days is it Jesus. Is Jesus. That's fascinating. That's right. So that's super cool. Okay. And basically there's a scroll that is held by God Almighty. Is this the, the scroll from Daniel? This is the scroll from Daniel. When are we going to be back with God? What's the end of the story? That's right. How's it all going to play out? And it's sealed with seven different seals. Like think wax seals, yeah. a signet ring okay. punched into it. There's a scroll sealed shut with seven different wax seals. Okay. And John sees it and he knows what's on it. It's the prophecy of the end of exile. It's the announcement right. of God's final kingdom. Absolutely. And he's weeping that no one is worthy right. to approach the Ancient of Days, approach God on the throne, and make his kingdom come on the earth. Right. And then all of a sudden, there's this announcement in the heavens. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Son of David. Mm. And he's like, where is he? And he turns around and he sees a picture of a lamb. So that's, people always make mention of this but john hears a lot of things but sees different things yes he hears about a lion he hears about a descendant of david but he turns around and doesn't see a lion he sees a lamb yeah. he doesn't see a human he sees a s slaughtered lamb instead mm. but it's a picture of jesus yeah who was sacrificed for his people and because he was sacrificed he is worthy right to sit on a throne next to god and break off the seals. I see. And if that doesn't make sense to you listening or watching right now, go back to the last episode because we uh, talked about yes. that whole thing. Yes, 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 yes. That's the, as the main theme of the book. Yes. Okay. So, um, so Jesus, so he, he hears this noise. Who's worthy? I want the scroll to open. Uh, question. Yeah. Does he want the scroll to open because he wants to know what it says or so that what it says will come to pass. So that what it says can come to pass. Okay, thank you. I've always I wondered that. I struggle with that too. Okay. I always thought like, oh, it's sealed. Nobody knows what it no says. No one's going to know the end of the story. What's the end of the story? Right. Yeah. But if you read the page attached to the book of Daniel, we kind of know what it says. It's it's the hope of the end of exile. Right. It's The exile will be over. It's not like, we're in exile. Oh no, what's going to happen? Right. And Daniel was told what's on the scroll. Right. right? Totally. But we just couldn't read it yet. Yeah, it you was couldn't sealed. open it. So to think of it, think of the scroll. This is helpful for me. Think of the scroll less like a story that you don't know the end of, yeah. and that's the final chapter. And you're like, what happens to Harry Potter? You know, right. open it up and read. It's not that. It's a decree that needs to be read in order to be effective. That's right. Okay, Who's that's really helpful. Who's worthy to start the kingdom of God, God's final place with humanity? Who's ready to make yep. that kingdom edict? And is it is it the breaking of the seal that does that? Or the reading of the scroll, like what? So yeah, yeah. So there's, I'm, I'm struggling right now. It's like, how do I develop a theme of throne without robbing all of our other podcasts of their weight? <laughs> because uh, that we're starting into the story of Revelation. I see. Revelation opens with this scroll that announces the final kingdom of God, uh -huh. and the drama of the whole book of Revelation is God finally speaking, or Jesus finally speaking. In declaring that kingdom has come. I see. And we want to talk about that in the next episode. Yes, we want to talk about okay. that. Okay, that's yeah, yeah, fine. Yes. I, can, I can separate. Okay, then I that's enough for me right now right. with the scroll. That's great. So he sees Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, and what happens? The whole of heaven 
erupts. Rock on. Worthy are, and they start worshiping him. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and by your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and nation. So so what's happening there is like, just like Daniel wasn't able to, to... enact the end of exile just like john was weeping because like who can bring us out of Mm -hmm. exile and reconcile all things to god and let us be with him again as a people people erupt in worship and are freaking out because jesus is the one who can bring it into exile that's right okay he can yeah he can bring around the new world order yeah the new world order he can bring us home that's right he can make the story have a happy ending yeah and during these songs there's three of these songs he sits down on a throne next to god himself okay yes Okay. So, and from that position of authority, the rest of the story plays out. Mm. So every judgment that you read about, every action that happens on the earth, all happens from that throne room, okay. right? Yep. So like, imagine just like a sky throne and a earth below yeah. and anything that happens on the earth below is because it first happens in the heavens or is poured out from the heavens. I see. So every action that you read about happening on earth only happens because of something that first happens in the heavens. I see. So that's that's going back to that theme of why it all happens from a throne. He has authority. Because yeah. God has the authority to do it. That's right. It's not a bunch of random happenstance that's occurring and God's trying to make sense of it in the heavens. It's no. his doing. It's his doing. He's okay. bringing about the things that are being described. Okay. Which, to like make a point there, is like so uh, such a good hope bringer which is like oh, what right. we keep coming yes. back to it of why the book of Revelation was written is why is it good news that God's in control when everything looks like he's not, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, because he's orchestrating an end that's going to turn out in my favor, even yes. if I'm the one suffering. Yes. The wheels aren't off the cart. Like this isn't running out of control. Yeah. Even though I'm suffering, even though, you know, a loved one of mine was martyred. Yeah. God is sitting on his throne he's the one orchestrating the things that are going on he's in control yes okay that's right so you have god on the throne at the beginning of the story in a lot of ways like the story's kind of over by the end of chapter five that's that story or who's in the control of the powers Mm. she god is he's on the throne he's on the throne above all thrones the story's kind of over what what can anybody do what throne on earth could overthrow the throne in heaven yeah so there's a sense in which like the good news of this is like oh the story of world empires is over before world empires even formed. Mm. God sits on the throne above them all and has always done so and will continue to do so. And on that throne is a man who has sacrificed himself to bring us to his throne permanently and forever. Right. The story's already over. Right. No matter what happens on the earth. That makes sense. And I think, in, like, I was going to say this earlier, but you, you've kind of said it here, is I think the God is in control thing yeah. can do one of two things to people. One, it can feel like a platitude, right? Like, don't worry, God's in control, you know. And I think, like, as you dive into Revelation and see the live ammo that like, is being mm-hmm. dealt with here, mm-hmm. you can see it is mm-hmm. anything but a platitude. It is very real. Uh, and then the other thing is, when you say God is in control, that can seem miserly or like He's a puppet master. But it's like the God who's in control is the Lamb that was slain for the world yes. that He's trying to yes save and very specifically he says you were slain and you have made us a kingdom of priests to our god and we will reign upon the earth right it's like we're not in control to suppress you and keep you down he's in control to elevate you (laughs) to your proper position of authority and see the world transformed into it's yeah you want the kingdom you want a slain lamb on the throne yeah that is good okay and then we end the book of revelation on the throne Mm. too so it begins and the story's already over god's on his throne and he's rising he's lifting us up to it with him all the action in revelation happens first because it happens in the throne room Mm -hmm. and the right at the very end in chapter 20 uh we have a great white throne oh and then in chapter 20 verse 11 then i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written on the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into a lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if well, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown to the lake of fire. So this, this is where the throne comes back into play. Mm. This 
throne that Jesus sits on at the beginning that good news is already announced from that all the action happens. There's this kind of climactic moment at the end mm. where all judgment that is left to be made is made. All vindication that all those that need to be vindicated and avenged are vindicated and avenged. I see. There's nothing left undone by the king who sits on this throne. Ah, so he who is in control on the throne in Revelation 5 mm-hmm. makes all things right. Yes. By Revelation 20. That's right. So it's like, like God, like I'm, I'm glad you're on the throne. I'm glad you're in control, but things aren't quite working out the way I want them to. Look at my enemies. Like, what's going on? It's like, no, he who is on the throne will stay on that throne until all enemies are judged, all wrongs are righted, and all justice is vindicated. Yes. Okay. And he'll be there even after death and Hades yes. are conquered. Okay. Right. And so this yeah. is the image of the king of the throne. God is in control yeah. of what happens in our histories. Mm. Um, yeah. Because if he wasn't, then the victory of the martyrs seems impossible. Right. right. That's right. It seems non like nonsense. Yes. Only in a world where a slain lamb was sitting on heaven's throne could martyrs be risen to victory. Right. That's like, right. That's, it has to be that way. Yes. Okay. And so from that throne, all yes. evil is dealt with. Yep. All the innocent blood has been avenged. And then we get this vision of a new heaven and new earth dawning. Mm-hmm. The, the, the dawning of a new era. The end of the world as they knew it, the dawning of a new kingdom, right? Yes. We see this holy city coming down from heaven, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He's God is dwelling with his people, living with them like Daniel hoped for. Mm-hmm. He is Exile's over. Exile's over. Yeah. Everything is happening. And while this is not the first time that Jesus speaks mm. in the whole book of Revelation, it is kind of the only time he speaks <laughs> since the scroll is opened. Oh, wow. So imagine that, just for a second, the scroll is opened, but at the end of chapter five, nothing's read. Mm. Nothing's read in yeah, the scroll. Which is like an important part of opening a scroll. Right. Yeah. And if it has on it the declaration of a new kingdom, we're waiting for the contents of the scroll to be read aloud yes. and the kingdom to come, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's like... What's it say? What does it say? Yeah. And I think right here is when Jesus finally reads the contents of the scroll. Okay, which part? In verse 5 of uh, chapter 21. 21? And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold... I am making all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. That is the announcement Mm. of the dawning of the new kingdom. And if you are paying attention, that's also the way in which God started the first kingdom of Israel. Oh, right. He said, I will be your God and you'll be my people. Yes. So as a king, with all authority, all evil has been judged. All blood has been vindicated. The scroll, worthy to open the scroll of history, finally reads the final announcement. Mm. You are my people. Mm. I am your God. You are my sons and daughters. Let us live together for eternity. We enter into the eternal promised land. That's right. That's cool. That's right. I love that. And that's the theme of the throne I see. throughout okay. the, the book of Revelation. One last thing that I was thinking about as we were talking about God's throne. Yep. Is we were also talking about how the temple is probably the most historical thing we should have in our mind as we read about the events in yeah. uh, Revelation leading up to its destruction in the year 70. God's throne used to be in there. Yeah. Inside his, the Holy of his, Holies. His footstool at least. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah, like yeah. this... Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence would come and sit. Mm-hmm. It would come and dwell there. It was where he executed his rule and his reign in Israel right. on earth. Uh, it was the one place where like heaven touched earth. Mm-hmm. And if that place is going to be destroyed or maybe already had been or whatever, yeah. where does he execute his rule from now? Like what does the throne, I know what the th- yeah, I know yeah, what God's yeah. throne room looks like. And I think that's easy, an easier logical theological jump for us to make yeah, at, as people living in this millennia, <laughs> but for somebody back there who God's lived in oh, temples, right, like, right, right, you access God's on mountains or in high places or in yes. designated areas. Where's God's throne? Right. Where does your God live? Yeah, it's just like yes. such a big right. question. If the temple is going to be destroyed by God right. himself, what's the solution? Yes. Where's God's throne? And it's it's good news because it's in the heaven of heavens and yes. it's over everything. 
and he his his rule that goes forth actually executes everything that it's meant to. Yes. It's amazing. Not only is God's rule in the heavens, but God's rule rests in, in his people. Mm. And so this is actually this whole next section called the New Jerusalem and it's a description of it's it's a description of a new heavenly city, the final city, mm-hmm. the city of God. But what's interesting is it uses measurements that are the same measurements or similar measurements to the types used to describe the temple right. in the Old Testament. But weirdly, after describing in temple-like words this coming new Jerusalem with this new temple-like structure, he says, but there is no temple. There's just people. There's just people. Yeah. So where is the location of God's presence? Right. It is his people yeah. on the earth. Right. Reigning in heaven and yeah. reigning on the earth. This is where God's presence dwells. Not over there, not over there, mm. but in us. So why is our exile over on the earth right now? Because we are God's presence. We are the center of God's presence yes. as Christ lives in us, right? Yeah. So that's another reason why it's good news that God reigns on his throne is because that reign is communicative to us. Yeah. Like we can reign with him even now mm-hmm. as his ambassadors, as those indwelt by him through his spirit. We are reigning with him now over the earth. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Is that throne? And that's the throne. That's the that's the theme of the throne and okay. his rule and his reign and how we interact with that. Yes. Okay. So there's this there's Jesus on a throne above all orchestrating everything worthy to open the scroll of history that everyone's freaking out about. And yet the crazy thing is that God has a bride. Oh yeah. And he's going to get right. That that King wants to have a queen. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk about that. Where then is the first time we pick up on this idea of a woman or a bride or a queen, as you said, uh, really? It's actually at the very end of the story book of Revelation. Oh, okay. Revelation 19. So we have just witnessed in the story the fall of these world powers, this false woman riding a beast, and the whole world is celebrating the fall of a nation he calls Babylon. And then in chapter 19, verse starting in verse 6, we hear this song emanating from the heavens. Mm after the defeat of this wicked city called Babylon. And it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So after Babylon is defeated, the heavens start singing about, okay, now that Babylon is destroyed, Mm -hmm. the lamb, Jesus, can finally marry his bride, Mm. the saints, because they have been purified and made ready for this moment through the what's happened, the book of Revelation so far. Yeah. Okay. So that's where the first time we read about it. Man. Okay. I mean, one, I'm thinking it reminds me of like some medieval movie, you know, where you have this, this is probably, this is just not helpful when it comes to (laughs) Jesus, but it's like, yeah, the marriage part. You have this like dashing prince who needs to go out to battle. And he's like, when I return, we shall wed. I mean, you know, (laughs) like goes out, wins a big victory. And the, and then he comes back in the gates and everyone's singing and he's riding on his horse and they're like. It's time for you to marry. Yeah, you know, and then the kingdom is yours. And then they have this big marriage, yeah. and it's like that's just like the image. I mean, that it's I have in my head. like it's kind of true because he literally, uh, God just kills a dragon in the last <laughs> couple of verses, chapters two. So it's like it kind of fits. That that's really cool. And then like this bride makes herself ready. You know, like mm-hmm. this is a process mm-hmm. in you know Jewish culture and and even the, the yeah. wider culture of the day, where it's like this whole thing for a bride to get herself ready. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it could take hours, it could take days. Yeah, we think of a yeah. bride getting ready. It's a, it's a whole morning affair for right. a 5 p.m. wedding. It's like, no, 
yeah, we normally think about weddings. Like you take the whole morning to get ready for the wedding at 5 right. p.m. But in Judaism, that same thing would happen, but over a longer period of time. Like right. Jewish weddings lasted like seven days. And so the bride would prepare herself for like three or four days. Right. The wedding would happen on the fourth day. Right. And they would continue celebrating. Yeah, it's like the bride wasn't in the powder room getting her right. makeup done. It's like this is yeah the history of the church. You've been getting ready right. for this day. And so you can even imagine like the structure of Revelation kind of like a wedding. So the mm. wedding announcement happens in Revelation chapter four when the king takes his throne. Right, yes. Right. And then there's several days of preparation until the wedding day, which happens here in chapter 19. And then chapters 20 and 21 is the ending of the wedding day celebration, right? Mm -hmm. That's one way to think about the book of Revelation. But here's the, the confusing thing. Oh, okay. This is the first time a wedding has ever been mentioned in the book of Revelation. Yeah. And that is bizarre to me, considering the way in which these other themes that we've talked about, like conquering or the throne, are generally established on page one. And all of a sudden, we are expected to understand that the fall of Babylon and the defeat of the dragon makes way for a wedding, makes way for a wedding. So I was like, was, is John just a bad writer? And not like tell, <laughs> like, like put the shotgun over the mantelpiece for me. Like, right. why is this here? It's my kind of first question. Mm. I didn't know if you had a follow-up question to that now that I pointed it out, but well, I mean, it makes me think, I mean, it makes me think that like you, it does start revelation does start with verse five. You read um, in an earlier episode to him who loves us. And has freed us mm -hmm. from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom. It, it, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. there is this like love affection. and this pursuit. Yeah, this affection. Even in one of the letters, he says like, "Remember your first love." And I don't know if that has anything. Yeah, to do. yeah. Like, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in and eat with you. Yeah. There is this like intimacy, this pursuit mm -hmm. of God of mm -hmm. His people that is happening. But it also is a major biblical theme. Right, which that is... That needs to be tied up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so throughout the Old Testament, God considers Israel, his people, mm -hmm. to be his bride. Right. That is one of the central metaphors that God uses to describe his relationship mm -hmm. with his people. And then I think everyone's pr pretty familiar with like the book of Hosea when um, God's people are unfaithful. Right. And she is described as a prostitute, yep. right? But that is a breaking of a marriage covenant that God hopes to restore again yes. one day. And so this idea that God is in a marriage relationship with his people mm. is something that is found all throughout the Old Testament, which is why I think it's showing up here. It's like, oh, there's a theme in which God wants to marry his people. Yeah but they're chronically faithless. They yeah. have not prepared themselves to actually be married. But in this final phase of world history, something's going to happen. A type of persecution is going to happen. The ending of one world order, the beginning of new is going to happen. And God's bride is finally going to be ready to yeah. join herself to Jesus forever. Right. Right. Yes. Is there anything else in Revelation then that sets up the categories for this marriage that's going to happen. What else should we be having yeah. in, our, in our head as we're thinking about like, who is this bride? Where did she come from? What's the story that's yes. led to this marriage supper? So if you've been reading your old Testament carefully, you'll mm -hmm. know that God wants to be in a marriage relationship with his people, but his people are chronically unfaithful and that pattern never really resolves itself. Right. Right. Yeah. And what's really interesting is if you read the book of John, like the apostle John, mm -hmm. Uh, the Gospel of John, you'll notice that in his book, he kind of picks up on this theme of the idea that God wants to marry his people mm. and that Jesus is supposed to be the bride of that people. Bridegroom. The bridegroom of that people. Uh, the bride. The bridegroom. The groom. <laughs> the, the groom of his people. Yes. And so there's like some breadcrumbs here, which mm. I think the John of Revelation, pro presumably the same person, yep. is picking up on in resolving the story of the gospel of John. Mm -hmm. So, right. Okay. So let me, let me say. Yeah, yeah. So are these the, are you going to lay out some breadcrumbs from yeah, the so gospel of John? Yeah. So, okay. from, so yes, breadcrumbs from the gospel of John. Okay. Jesus's first miracle. A wedding. Is providing wine at a wedding. Yep. And what's interesting about that wedding though, is that even though John very explicitly calls Jesus the groom. Yes. In chapter three. Jesus is not the groom of that wedding. Right. So I was like, oh. Where, when's his wedding? When's his wedding? Yeah. And so you're kind of set up like, oh, God is supposed to be the husband of his people. Jesus is supposed to be God in the flesh. We're waiting for Jesus's wedding. Yep. And the first miracle is a wedding. Yep. 
but it's not his. Shoot. Right. Uh, when is that wedding going to happen? Mm-hmm. And then we have this interesting story where Jesus approaches a woman at a well. Yes, John 4. John 4. And what's weird about that is all throughout the Old Testament, when the patriarchs met women at wells. That's when they find their wife. That's when they find their wife. And this woman is a radical adulteress. Yeah, she's serial a, adulteress. She's a serial adulteress, but she's faithful to God. And she becomes one of the first missionaries yes. in John's gospel. Right. But it's still not Jesus's bride. They don't get married. Like, oh, no, man. We missed, even, we, they, we missed it again. They even talk about weddings. Right. But it's not Jesus's oh, wedding. Man. Okay. Right? Um, they talk about marriage. They talk about marriage. marriage. Yes, they talk about marriage, but right. there is no marriage. Yep. Um, and then, interestingly, Jesus, after he's risen from the dead as a new Adam, yeah. comes out into the garden and meets who? A single woman named mm. Mary Magdalene. Right. This should be like a Garden of Eden moment where oh, right. the king of the world comes in a garden to meet his queen. Right. But he sends Mary Magdalene away. <laughs> When's this wedding going to happen? I just uh, want the wedding uh, to happen. Right. And so you, you could you can think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that the, uh, John here is picking up these breadcrumbs and finally giving us... The wedding we've been waiting for. The wedding we've been waiting for. <laughs> it's the wedding uh, of the century that we've been waiting for. Yeah. So I love that I, that idea that's happening here. That's cool. And what's interesting is we've talked at various times about what the blood of the martyrs does mm-hmm. and how it like judges the world, but also purifies the world. But there's this other sense that what's ha- the judgments that happen on the earth also purify the people of God as yes, well right because presumably these things that are happening on the earth happen to both christians and non-christians that's right and the experience of persecution by these global powers actually purifies god's people and like makes them more faithful over right. time several of the new testament letters tell us as much that's right persevere in suffering because that's going to bring about godly character and perseverance and that's godliness right. that's right it's a very basic christian thing to yes. do and it's like how are we going to get ready for this wedding that's right. How am I going to be a part of the bride and be at that wedding and yeah. like be like the clean white bride? It's like, oh, Jesus is getting me ready for the wedding through the suffering. Oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm talking to you or Revelation at this point. <laughs> uh, but, but like, you, you, as we talked about in the last episode, it was like this whole idea of hope for sufferers yep. is what Revelation is all about. Giving us hope for those who are enduring suffering for the name of Jesus. And we talked about like how one of the biggest things that Revelation offers hope to these people uh, through is it's not in vain. Yeah. If you suffer for the name of Christ and and your martyrdom, it does something. It does something. You're going to reign on a throne. You're going to purify the world. You're going to invoke God's judgment on enemies. Lots of good things. Right. Boom. Yeah. But now you're offering me something else. Is yeah. is it worth it to suffer? It's like yes, because you're like a bride getting wed- ready for her wedding day. Yeah. Is like that's like when you're suffering for Christ, you're you're putting on makeup. When you're when yeah. you're being persecuted, you're doing your hair. Like mm-hmm. you're you know whenever whenever you're being stripped naked, you're putting on a wedding dress. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're getting ready for ready for your wedding day. That's yeah. just so cool. It's th- this emotive metaphor compared to like the 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 kingly metaphors we've been using. Mm-hmm. So we've t- we talked about will reign right. We'll yes. rule. We'll sit on a throne. We'll judge. Yeah. We'll enact vengeance. Kingdom and priests. Power. Yes. Pa- like these yeah. great things. Which are good. Which are all great. But this gets more at like this. Why does God describe his people as his bride at all? Yeah. Because it's not simply about a transactional relationship of power right. or making sure people restore themselves to their ultimate humanity. All good all things. All good things. But there's actually an emotive relationship God desires to have for his people that's best expressed in the way that a husband loves his wife. Yeah, in fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians that marriage between a husband and a wife here on earth is actually a picture, a shadow of what our relationship with God really is. That's right. So it's not like God's condescending his love in a way we can understand it as like, oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a, a marriage. It's like, no, this is what all good human love is actually pointing to. Right. This is better, deeper, more emotive. Yes. So as I, I think our tendency can be want to like water it down and be like, oh, it's like right. a wedding. It's right. like a marriage. It's like, no. If anything, our marriage weddings is are, like our weddings are like this yeah, wedding. Exactly. Uh, yes. And so yeah. the, the what is Revelation for? It's giving us this vision of like God wants to unite himself to his people in love. Mm-hmm. And what does that take? 
we got to get ready for the wedding day. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means suffering. Yeah. Uh, and through that, though, we are united to our true husband forever. Yeah. That's good news. That's super good news. Um. Okay. And then can I keep yes, going? Keep going. This? So I'm gonna do, no, the thing in my head is going to take us in a completely different direction. Um, so that's I have just been talking from Revelation 19, but a wedding is described again in chapter 21, when John sees another vision of a new heaven and a new earth, uh, coming down out of heaven. Oh right. Uh, and where the sea is no more, and he sees a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and then there's a voice from heaven behold the dwelling place of god is with man right he will the, dwell the, with him the husband and wife move in together that's right that's yeah. right this is the consummation of the marriage yeah. this is this is the central moment yeah it's, it's it's when the the husband picks up the bride and carries her over the threshold yeah that's right you know, you know that classic thing yeah yeah and so what this makes me think about is that there's two like horizons mm. for this marriage there's the horizon of we keep talking like maybe even three horizons, uh, but the two horizons like <laughs> how uh, many suns are on this planet? How many no. suns are on this planet? <laughs> one we keep talking about as if we go back to the first episode that there's a sense in which once the temp we're talking about events leading up to the destruction of the temple, right? Yep. The end of one world order centered around the temple and a new world order centered around God in his heavenly temple, yep. right? And his dwelling in us. And his dwelling in us. Right. And so there is a sense once the temple is destroyed, mm. it inaugurates a new era where we are united to Christ as a bride is united to her husband mm -hmm. and we rule with him as the center of God's new universe. Yes. Right? Yes. Which is just a cool image. As amazing. Us the church yep. and Jesus. We're called the body of Christ because right. we're one with him as a wife is one with her husband. Right. Yes. I think there's another like emotive side, which we've been talking about. We are finally united with our, our heart's truest longing. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the like uh, eschatological final horizon of this mm. in which this is a picture of reality forever mm. once christ returns there yeah. is gonna be like another moment when there is a, a radical reshaping of the world order as we know it right and a new world order will begin and we will experience what we experience now in part entirely and fully yes we'll really be carried across the threshold that's right right <laughs> and it's an amazing magnification that happens so you have you have the temple right mm -hmm. which is god's like small place where god is present on earth is the idea yeah. right and but like we talked about in the first episode, it's also a picture of the whole world. Yeah. And so it's a place where heaven can meet earth. That is going to be destroyed, right, in the year seventy, mm -hmm. in order to make room for a more global temple, where you yeah. have little temples as Christians, mm -hmm. right? And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, but it's still like small and local. And they come together as little bodies and churches, mm -hmm. and there's little temples, and it's like, oh, it's this is, this is better. Yeah. This is better. But then there's another escalation where it says the old heavens and the old earth are going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Right? Just like the temple was destroyed. So this yeah. new temple system is destroyed. And a new heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. Heaven is going to engulf earth. Yeah. And they're going to be one. And no longer are there silos of presence mm -hmm. and little outposts of presence. Instead, yeah. the whole earth is yeah. presence. Yeah. Like, it's like the coolest thing ever. My favorite part of the Bible. It's your favorite part of the Bible. It should be. It yeah, should I guess be. That's true. So yeah. I guess the the way to wrap this up then is like, okay, I'm a first century person on the ground. Yeah. Suffering under persecution. Why is the theme of the bride? Good news. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a man today or a woman today. And I, I mean it's it's funny. It's like this book means a lot more, much more quickly to people who are currently experiencing oh, suffering. Yeah, that's who it was written to. All right. So maybe let's just, let's just land there. Let's not, not let, try to apply it to us who are experiencing a lesser degree of, sure. of persecution. Yeah. What does this mean for a person on the ground suffering to be united with their husband? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's probably, I don't, I don't know how to go beyond what I said earlier, yeah. which is your suffering is like a bride getting ready for a wedding day. Your suffering has a beautification process. Yeah. Which is just amazing. I remember this quote. Uh, I've, I think I've used it in a couple weddings that I've done, uh, or at least a couple sermons about Revelation. Mm. I think it's from Tim Keller. I, I can't remember. Uh, um, I think it is. And he talked about how on wedding days, we think about ourselves 
dressing up, mm-hmm. right? And like, this is the most important day. And the, the reason we dress up is to like, to show the significance of our day. But he says like, no, you're not playing dress up on that day. Mm. You're dressing as you will one day be. Mm. And it's like, people always talk about their husband or their bride never looking more beautiful when they saw him walking down the aisle. That's We're not play acting. That's how the world ends. Yeah. We are reenacting beforehand what the world will one day be. Right. Uh, in that moment. And I was like, that's a, I love that. That, oh, that's that beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I've got, I've got one last diversion. Okay. That I want to try to go on since we have a tiny bit of time left. And that is, I, I think that the theme of the, of the woman mm-hmm. and the bride we talked about the, the, the cookie oh, crumbs yes, in, yes. in John. It's like, and we talked a little bit about it in the Old Testament, but it's like, this is the story of the Bible. Uh-huh. Yes. Right? You have a woman betrayed by a beast in yeah. the Garden of Eden, yeah, Eve yeah. and the serpent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's how the book starts. Yes. And she's meant to have intimacy, yes, with her husband, but also with her God as they live in a kingdom together, mm-hmm. which is this perfect garden temple. Yes. And a beast comes and but then deceives her and leads her astray yeah and then the rest of the story of the bible is that beast pursuing her and trying to put an end to her line because god promised that somewhere along her genealogy mm-hmm. uh, um you know one yes. would come that would put an end to the beast instead of mm-hmm. the beast putting an end to her yeah and that's the story of the bible right and so it's like there there is this idea of this woman wrestling with the beast that finally no matter how much she's crushed yeah ends up arriving at the wedding beautifully dressed yeah and it's like how'd she get so pretty it's like well in one sense ephesians oh right the the blood of jesus Mm -hmm. made her perfect but also it has been her suffering through the centuries it's been her oppression all the way from genesis to revelation yeah that has adorned her for this day Mm -hmm. so i don't know if there's anything else you want to throw in on that but like i've just been thinking about that like from Genesis to Revelation, it's been a woman and a beast. Yeah, and I mean, Revelation does make mention of this. Oh, okay. Chapter 12, there's this series of images, uh, and the first one is of a woman in labor pains mm. giving birth, and there's this dragon crouched at her hips, mm. ready to devour the child as soon as it's uh, delivered. Right, which is like a picture oh. of what's been happening all through. Right, so in time. one sense, it's like, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. This is a one image picture of... The whole story of the Bible. Of the whole story of a Bible, right. that there would be a son born who yeah. would raise to power, and there's been an enemy, a serpent, a beast, a dragon, trying yes. to consume that child, any who hope for his coming. Right. Right? Yes. That's the story of the Bible. Yeah. But this woman is rescued time and time again. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this rescued woman who like, yeah, is just involved yeah. in the story, ends up getting married. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really cool. Yeah. The other layer to that mm. would be that Revelation gives us this picture of this faithful woman trying to give birth to the Messiah, pursued by the dragon. Oh, yeah. The dragons cast down the earth, calls up the beast out of the sea, calls up that another beast to try to attack the woman yet again, right? There's, the, yeah. there's this whole drama we have not talked about oh, in, in, in these moments. Yeah. But it's in that moment that we're also introduced to an alternate bride, mm. a false bride, a false woman. Right. So we were given this faithful woman giving birth to the Messiah, the people of God. But then we're given this other picture that she's just called the prostitute, the harlot. Hmm. And she drinks the blood of, of the, the martyrs. martyrs. She's a, a personification of the serpent in one way. She's drinking. She wants to drink the blood. Yes, of, which is what the dragon was trying to do. What, yeah. what, the, what the dragon was trying to do. And tragically, and this is my view on this, and people disagree with me. I think this woman is the people of God themselves. Hmm. As in, it's Israel. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city that drinks the blood of the prophets. Right. This is Jesus' critique of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious establishment of his time. There is a a, a legacy passed down to to the people of God waiting for this Messiah who, once that Messiah comes and people start following him, want to kill the people. Yeah. And the the revelation calls this person the prostitute, this mm. system the prostitute, the false bride. She should have been the bride, right? right? Yeah, she looks like a bride. She looks like the bride, but right. she's personifying 
disobedient, mm. heart, like idolatrous Israel, just like Gomer did in the book of Hosea. Right. And so that's the other picture that mm. we're given in the book of Revelation. You can, so, yeah, there's not only a political threat to the bride of Christ, yeah, but there's a religious one, yeah, and like a um, a falsehood, like yeah. a, a duplicity, yeah, that could draw you away from being in the bride, yeah, to being oh, this is kind of brideish, right? Over, and that's like false teaching, and it's false teaching. It's like trusting the old temple system right. rather than the new temple of Christ, yeah. right? Yeah. There, anyway, fascinating. So that, that's maybe a story that, for another day. But well, no, it's helpful though. It adds that extra layer to this woman theme. That this yeah. bride theme is really helpful. Okay. Man, okay, so that was God's throne and the bride. And the bride. So we've done we've we've done the first episode, what is revelation? We've looked at the what, what we've kind of said is the major theme, which is the uh blood of the martyrs and, and conquering. conquering through suffering. Yeah. And then we've looked at the two other big themes, this this marriage that everything's been leading towards and God's throne. And I think we're going to wrap up in the next episode we're going to try to wrap up. Yeah, I we haven't really told the whole story yeah. of revelation we've told it in drips and drabs and like we've been hinting at it and we've been trying to hold back our yeah, desire but we've kind of laid out now what you should focus on how to understand the symbols maybe now we've done the groundwork enough to tell you the story yeah <laughs> so next episode is story time story time we're gonna walk through the story of the, of the book yes. right that's and right that's hopefully where we'll land yes and maybe a little extra new heavens and new earth my favorite little, part little, yeah yeah maybe okay. get into a little more of the trumpets and the seals Ooh, and the bowls go. it's gonna be fun okay sweet <laughs> all right well thank you guys for joining us uh we'll see you next time as we wrap up the book of revelation Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.